All right. So let's uh, let's look to Romans chapter five as we're continuing our series on Romans, grace and peace to you. Uh, <clears throat> Paul is uh, proclaiming, you know, the gospel. That's what he's doing. Uh, he could be preaching to a crowd, but instead he's giving this to a church, the church in Rome, so that they can understand this gospel that he preaches. So he calls it the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls it the gospel of God. He even calls it my gospel. And so Paul is so familiar with this truth that he wants them to understand what it is. In this period of time, there are people who've had this element of the gospel, and they understand this because somebody came and preached that message and can you imagine your entire grounding in the word of God being according to a few different messages that people have come in and preached you don't have a bible in front of you Um, you have to trust that the person that's preaching is is really preaching something from this from God Um, because you really don't know you don't have the scriptures to check them out by so Paul wants these believers in Rome to understand. I mean, if there's a place where, you know, in a sense, a crossroads, a place where every preacher would want to go to, it would be there. But are they teaching the truth? And there have been some issues of confusion, confusion about the Jews, confusion about the law, confusing, confusion about sin and um, eternal destiny, um, election are we chosen just by god or do we believe to be saved and what about gifts and what about the ministry and how do we live as a christian so there's all these things in here and then there's this what is this holy spirit person that some people talk about because others may not have heard so we uh we have this lesson this this message that Paul has given to help believers understand what it is that God has spoken to his church this is the message from God's promise of a son to the sending of his son to the death and resurrection of his son to the outpouring of his spirit and to what that means to us as believers today so all of that wrapped up in this incredible letter we call the book of romans so we've come down to chapter 5 and verse 11 i'm going to read this section down through 21 and that's what we're going to be working on i telling you already i am not going to get through all of this section tonight so we'll go as far as one hour lets me go and then we'll quit All right, so Romans chapter 5, starting verse 11, uh, we've done down through verse 10. So here we are. More than that, Paul says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace 
and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You just have to say that is an incredible piece of literature. Um, it's by the Spirit of God, of course, but, you know, God also uses the person. And Paul was eloquent enough to put this down. Now, one thing that you do find with Paul is sometimes, like a good preacher, he gets caught up in saying something, moves off to talk about it, and never finishes his other thought. Until later, and the Spirit of God brings it back, and then he's back to what I was talking about. So uh, so sometimes, in, even in the Greek language, you find Paul with unfinished sentences, uh, interrupted sentences, just like how we preach. It's almost like somebody took this down as Paul was preaching it. Oh, yeah, they did. Paul's in someplace in Corinth dictating this letter, and somebody's writing as fast as they can. And so... I can see Paul just working up incredible passion as he's presenting this passage. Now, it is somewhat confusing because it's that that one man or this one man and this bag and back to the one man and by this one man and by that one man. So that's why your third page, we'll get to that here in just a little bit, where I've put the two things in columns so that we can see it just a little bit better presented. So... Last week as we were finishing, I was talking about reconciliation. Jen was talking with me on the way home, and and it it is I I don't want to leave the impression that you have to believe for justification and then you have to believe for reconciliation. No, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're justified and reconciled. So I didn't even know the two words existed. Doesn't matter. You were. When you believed in Jesus Christ, you were justified or made righteous, brought into right relationship with God, and you were also reconciled. Now, reconciliation was offered before, and that's what we were talking about. Reconciliation is something that God does and that you believe. Justification is something that God does that you have to believe for. And if you do not believe, you will not be justified. God has, 2 Corinthians 5, we'll see this tonight, God has reconciled the world to himself. So God's done his part in reconciliation. But it's not active in you till you receive it. It's just like there's plenty of electricity in these plugs, but until you tap into it, it's not going to do any good. So also with these principles of God. They're, they're there. They're things that God does that you don't have to understand. But the more you understand them, then the more that you can rest in them, minister them to other people. You can find security in them and incredible understanding of other passages of Scripture. Once you understand justification or reconciliation, other passages in the scriptures start to make a lot of sense. So as Paul is going through this passage, and he's been talking about here in the last number of verses, since verse 6, he's been talking mostly about reconciliation. And as he comes down to this reconciliation, and it's like somebody said, but how does this happen? Who's doing this? And why, why do we need it? So, Paul's going to explain that, and he's going to explain it by using two men, Adam and Christ. And so 
in this presentation, then, he's going to talk about these two men and what happened through both of them. So, first of all, let's go down to the bottom of your page. Paul starts off, verse 11 starts off with the phrase, more than that. All right, well, going back to what we talked about last week, so you can go back to listen to Lesson 32. It's on the podcast uh, home church page. Um, Lesson 32, Paul talked about how the love of God has come toward us, and God has delivered us from wrath. Right? So, how many of you are glad you've been delivered from wrath? Amen. Right. So that's a permanent thing. And then he goes on in the next verse and says not only that, more than that, you've also been delivered or been brought to the love of God. The Christ's love. If you've been saved by his death, how much more will you be saved by his life? And so we, we, often, we often think about been saved by the death of Jesus. And we talk to people about that, and it might be familiar, but how often do we talk about being saved by his life? And so that's, that's one of the statements that Paul brings out and that we talked about last week, the fact that he is ever our intercessor, that he's always, he's always there to pray, he's always there leading us. And, and the phrase that, that I use in Hebrews 7.25 is, God is rescuing you from your own tendencies towards self-destruction. Things that we do that could potentially harm us, uh, God protects us from. Uh, he protects us from things that we're not aware of that we should be. How many of you ever been caught off guard? Uh, yeah. But the Bible says if you walk in the light, you know, you, you should know things, you know. And if we follow the light, then we, we ought to have every good step and everything ordered of the Lord. How many of you found out? I know my steps are ordered of the Lord, but I've made some pretty bad steps. Yeah. I have wandered off the trail. And um, when I'm hiking, you know, in mountains or wherever to do some photography, I try to, I don't always have a path to, to follow, but I've got some kind of a guide that I'm looking at, and I don't want to wander too far off of that, or I'd still be up in the mountains somewhere. So, but we make mistakes. But God is there to bring us back. So thank God for being saved by his life as much as saved by his death. But then he starts off this phrase, and more than that. So more than being saved from wrath, and more than being saved by his life, we have been reconciled. Now he's used that word and he's talked about it before, but... but we have now received, have now received. God offered it to the world, but you opened your heart to receive it. And the reconciliation has to do with the hostility. You were in sin. God is absolutely righteous. Hostility. A wall of separation. A wall of division. God hates sin but he loves people and so in order to bring us into that place he didn't say well you got to come up with some way to reconcile to me you know you got to pay this debt you got to pay this off you got to make this right i'm glad you didn't have to make everything right to get saved jesus made it right and then said here receive it so reconciliation has to do with removing that barrier, that thing that is in between. And we're going to see it more perfectly in Adam and Christ. And that's the imagery that he's going to use for what this reconciliation is. We have received it. All right. So this is a principle that works in us. Look at Colossians down at the bottom of your page. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19 and it continues on the top of the next page. But Colossians 1.19 says, For in him 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, man, I could go off into a whole series on through, in, by. Anyway, and through him to reconcile to himself. It's not you reconciled to God. It's God reconciled to himself. He's going to take you and reconcile you to him. Wow, that's just so beautiful. He's going to do whatever it takes to remove the barrier so that you can come to him. How's he going to do that? Making peace by what? The blood of his Christ. Paul didn't end the verse or the statement with through him to reconcile all things to himself, period. God's reconciling everything to himself. No, no. Only through the blood of his cross. I don't believe in that bloody cross thing. I don't think I need any cross. I don't need anybody dying for me. I don't need any of that. Um, as one, one of my friends was told by a woman at a conference, kind of a new age conference, I don't need no bloody man hanging on a bloody cross for me. Mm, yes, you do. Um, yeah, you really do. Verse 23, bottom of the page. And you, who once were alienated, that's where you were. You were alienated. And what? You were, no, I always loved God. Really? Yeah, you were hostile to God. Why? Because you had sin in your life, which makes you hostile to God. Hostile in mind and what? Doing evil deeds. You were. And you who were, right, alienated, hostile, and doing evil, he has now reconciled, he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Through his blood, by his death, in order to present you holy and what? blameless and what above reproach before him the word reproach is kind of an interesting word because what it means is nothing which you can be caught by the idea of maybe um, you're you're trying to flee someplace you're trying to get away but your coat's following behind you and somebody can grab a hold of your coattail or grab a hold of your sleeve or something like that, right? And so it means nothing by which you can be held above reproach. God didn't just deal with the stuff that's here. He removed stuff. I know I've got people in my life, people that I used to have close fellowship with, who know stuff about me that I would be embarrassed if you knew. I would be. But you know what? To God, I'm above reproach. I'm not that person anymore. And they can say, yeah, but I remember. Yeah, but it's all being cut off. I'm above reproach. And that's a, that's a tough thing <laughs> to say, but we are. And so, going down, we, you, we, we were reconciled. Where reconciliation is mentioned in the New Testament, it is always God that reconciles and we that receive it. He's always the actor, the reconciler, and we're always the reconcilee, recipient. That the hostility is removed by him, not by us. I don't somehow make up for it. I don't have to pay for it. There's debts that I have had in the past. There's no way I could have paid. Debts to people. But you know what? He took care of all of it. I don't have to make it right. He did. And God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. That's the beautiful part of all of this. Men, women throughout the earth are begged. It's the Greek word. We 
beg you in Christ's stead. Paul uses that word beg. I plead with you. Yeah, you can soften it up if you want to soften it up or try to take the the shame out of it. No, the Greek word means to beg. We beg you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I thought you said he did it. He did. He did everything he could. Now it's up to you. You've got to, using my analogy, you've got to plug the cord into the wall. He made sure it's there, but you have to tap into it. And so please, please, we beg you, be reconciled to God. God hates sin. He does. He always has. He does now. And he always will. God hates sin. But he loved you. And he loved the world. And he's going to love people that go to hell. Because he died to save them. But they chose not to receive. Now, although both justification and reconciliation are related, they're, they're distinct. Justification is like a legal term where you're brought into a right relationship. The relationship that was broken. He's God, you're not. He's holy, you're not. Justification is you've been justified. You've been made right. Balanced out. All right, so that's justification. Made righteous. And so the idea of there is something that, that is made available. But how are you made righteous? How are you justified? By what? Five-letter word? By faith. By faith. If there's no faith, there's no justification. However, reconciliation is different. As I already said, reconciliation is a relational thing because it's about the hostility, it's about the barrier, it's about the enmity that's between God and our sinfulness and that enmity. So what did God do about that? He removed the barrier so that you can receive it. Now, is faith involved in reconciliation? Yes, in you receiving it. But God's already done his part. God hasn't justified people who don't believe. He has reconciled people who do not believe. God has reconciled people who will go to hell. But he hasn't justified them because they have not believed. So, whereas reconciliation is something God, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He has provided through his blood and through the cross and through his death, he has provided reconciliation. He did what needed to be done. He removed the hostility by putting it upon his son, but you have to receive it. So faith is involved in both justification and reconciliation. But the faith of justification activates it in our life. It's something that that happens. Reconciliation receives it into our life. And so we receive reconciliation. God did his part. I'm going to do mine. If God removed the barrier, but I won't walk up to the table and take his hand, then there'll be no reconciliation. All right? So that's the idea behind these words. And I know they still... They kind of hang out there being confusing because they're kind of alike, but they're not. They're kind of different, but they're not. And so these are the two things that happen. Now, again, the reconciliation has to do with God's hatred of sin, the hostility, the alienation. It's between you and God. And how did he deal with that? Well, that's where Paul moves on, starting in verse 12 through 21. And as he moves down through this next section, it is God doing for us something that we can't do for ourselves. The first thing is Paul is going to set up 
the hostility. So he's going to set that up in verse 12, which you got at the bottom half of your page, page 2. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who is that? Everybody knows, Adam. Through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right, so that sets up, there's the hostility. And it's there in Adam. Wasn't there a time when Adam walked with God in the cool of the day? And then all of a sudden, there is this incredible barrier. And what was a friendship with God became an enmity. Only to be removed by what? By Adam or any other person sacrifice of blood there there was no bloodshed before the fall none but then suddenly the fall and the relationship is broken and the hostility is there and if you're going to talk to me you better bring some blood now that blood was an animal and it was some animal's blood that was offered and they Probably a lamb was the first thing that was offered. But ultimately, that wasn't about a lamb, was it? We're not talking about animal blood that was needed to be offered. It was whose blood? Christ, right? And so this sets up God's answer. But the first thing is the problem, and that problem is in verse 12. Now, I put this down, and it's kind of, kind of a parallelism here. So if you look at that, that part that's there, uh, it's in the purple, just as sin came into the world through one man, all right? Sin came in. Then, and death came into the world is implied. How? All right, so you got sin, then death, and death came how? Through sin. Then you move back to the beginning of the next part. So, death spread to all men. How? Through sin implied. But then the next line, the last line, because all sinned. All right, so this issue was sin. Well, I didn't do it. Adam did it. If I'd been there, I wouldn't have done it. Right? You know, so we all think that. Just as sin came into the world through one man. And it was Adam's choice. He made a choice. He didn't make a choice for death. But he got it. But God told him he would. In the day that you eat, dying you will die. There's a dying that's going to take place immediately, and there's a dying that's going to be in the future. So dying immediately in relationship with me, hostility, barrier, dying immediately, you will die 939 years, is it? 939 years later, you will, and he did. And so there was an immediate death, the separation. Which is more important? The separation from God. Why? Because if there's no separation from God, there's no death. But because there's separation from God, there's death. So that all of Adam's seed, all of those who were in him, are going to be born what? In sin, because they're born separated from God. And so death, both physical and spiritual, is a consequence of death, of sin. And death, says, is the last enemy that will be conquered. So, how many of you are alive forever? Right? We're alive forever? Eternally? 
yet we still die. There is a death that is still not being conquered. Physical death. And people could say, well, no, they don't really die, they just sleep. No, their body dies. So it's it's dead. But it will be raised up. But not that body. What body is going to be raised up? A glorified body, a different body. A body that is not subject to the curse of this world, of the the pressure that we face and the issues that are down here. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, God will change our vile body into one like his glorious body. And the word used there for transform or change is the word which simply means an outward transition, an outward change. Why? Because you don't need an inward change. You already made that. You've already been, in Paul's words, metamorphosized. You've already had the Spirit of God change who you are on the inside. And your outer man is going to change. But when Jesus appears, or when you're raised from the grave, whichever one comes first, what's going to happen? Your body is going to be changed. But it's only an outward change. God's just going to change the outer flesh for a flesh that is not subject to decay, not subject to sin, not subject to failure, not subject to weakness, sickness, any of those things, glory be to God. All right? So this is all going to happen in the future. But the only reason death is here is because of sin. People say, well, I don't believe in all this sin stuff. Do you believe in death? Uh... Well, yeah, kind of have to. You know, I don't know, I don't really know any non-believers who say they don't believe in death. Maybe there are people that don't, but I mean, even Hinduism, you know, you you die, but you're going to get born again, you know, so there's a rebirth there, but there's still death. But if you believe in death, Did you have to believe in sin? Because sin is what put us there. And sin brings us into that situation. Now, in early Christianity, down the bottom of your page two, there were two, two heresies that began to arise in the church that had to do with death and sin, original sin, those things. One was called Pelagianism, all right? And it came from a man named Pelagius. Right, so Pelagianism, and this was one of the heresies that the church really had to attack. And so Pelagianism had to do with the connection between Adam's first sin and our sins. Now, what I'm reading here is the error. It's not what I believe. Uh, and if I have to stop and say that three times during this, so somebody doesn't take my part of my recording and say, did you know Jeff Jackson believes? No. All right. The connection between Adam's first sin and our sin is that Adam set a bad example for us. And all human beings begin the same way Adam did, morally neutral, neither good nor bad. And humans are not sinful or guilty in Adam. It is just that we may learn to sin from him or not. So Pelagianism said the problem isn't original sin. The problem is it's somewhere along the line, just like Adam. You're going to sin. You're going to bring it in. Now, you might not. Pelagists and some of those that believe this believe that you get to a place where I never did sin. So I've never have fallen. And if I've never fallen, then I don't need a what? I don't need a savior. See, if, if I've never died I don't need to be made alive and so the Pelagist believed that the problem was anybody know they all died, they all died. yeah well it's like 
uh, okay, what's the problem there? If, if death comes from sin, uh, how come they're not still here? Then <laughs> they're not. So Pelagianism didn't last a whole long time because <laughs> as the teachers kept dying, and it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's not easy to get by. The top of the next page. And the next one is called indirect imputation. And this was, this was a heresy, more, I'd almost call it an error of teaching. And in some ways, these, these things still hang out there. They, they still exist. Uh, direct impute, indirect imputation. The connection between Adam's first sin and our sin is mediated through our parents. Uh, see, there it is. It's my parents' fault. That's not me. If my parents had taught me right, if they had done the right things, I wouldn't be this way. But my dad was in sin and he didn't teach me the right things and now I'm in sin and it's his problem, not mine. Uh, Well, first of all, the scripture says you're wrong. You need to read Ezekiel 18. The soul that sins. Anybody know that verse? The soul that sins, somebody finish it for me. It shall die. Yeah, it shall surely die. Good. The soul that sins, it shall surely die. So if there's death, there's what? Sin. Yeah, there had to be some sin there. Okay, so both these both these doctrines came against this whole thing, and it was only in seed form that these were in existence in Paul's day. But they were beginning. This, both of these came out of what was called Gnosticism. And so this is the beginning of some of the Gnostic thought. These are a couple of the different thoughts that came up. But the truth is, as it says there at the top of your page three, Adam is both physical head and federal covenant head of humanity. He's the, he's the federal head, or the physical head, meaning that we wouldn't be here if there hadn't been an Adam, right? So that all started there and then came somewhere down to your grandparents and parents and you, right? And so he is the physical head. Adam was the first born, first created. God says in Luke, he calls Adam the son of God, but not with capital S, Right? He's not that son of God. But Adam. And all the way back to the original. So all humanity has come from him. But not only that, he's also the federal head or the covenant head of the human race. The covenant head. And that represents him in a relationship with God so that when Eve took the fruit nothing happened she ate the fruit and nothing happened she gave it to her husband beside her says and when he ate the fruit we all died Why? Because Eve is not the federal head of the human race. Adam was. We all died in Adam over and over. Eve's not mentioned. The only place she's mentioned is in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where it says that she was thoroughly deceived. Adam was not deceived at all, Greek says. Eve was thoroughly deceived. But that doesn't make her a savior either. Because then she entered into the transgression in the sense that she took the fruit, she gave the fruit to her husband and for him to eat. So in the sense, she enticed him into that sin just as much as Satan did. But the whole, the whole principle being that in Adam we died, not in Eve. So it's in Adam that all men have died. And so it is Adam and Christ that are going to stand as opposites. Adam is the federal or the covenant head. Uh, 
of the human race in the sense of bringing sin into the world. But Jesus became the last Adam. Jesus was the last Adam. Now, Paul also calls Adam the first man and Christ the second man. So he is both second man and last Adam. And Jesus is the last of that race. Because, yes, my physical being is descended from Adam, but my new creation is descended from Christ. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. So that's a whole new creation. He is now the second man because he was the last Adam. It was the end of that and the beginning of something new. Thank God. So Adam then stands in this position. He, in a sense, gets this, I I suppose we'll know him this way through all eternity. You are the federal head of sin. Surely we won't say that to Adam, you know, in heaven. But is because it all came from him. Right? But then what? We all sinned. Um, so I can't just go back and say, well, it's Adam. It's Adam. Just, just deal with Adam. You know, I'm sorry. How many had a brother or sister that you tried to blame stuff on? <laughs> I didn't do it. They did it. So maybe you were the one that I always got blamed. Yeah. So, but so we now we're going to look at these two two different types. So I want you to get that third page out. We'll come back to a little of this here in just a minute. But we're going to look at this at this third page because what I did here is I made two columns. Column on the left in blue uh, represents the atom passages the column on the right in green represents the christ columns so we start again in verse 12 and just kind of work our way down through this and there's places where you'll be on the left side and then you move to the right okay so i'll try not to get this confusing but hopefully you can follow along all right so verse 12 13 all on the left side because it's talking about adam therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law. See, now it's, it's like Paul knew that this was going to come up. The law. What about people that live before the law? You know, what about those people? You know, if the law is what, you know, Paul's been talking about the law all along here. You know, so if it's the law that lists our sin and the law that tells us that we are uh, unrighteous and that we need a Savior, what about the people who live before the law? Paul's got an answer for that. God has. Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. How do we know that? How do we know that sin was in the world before the law? Why? They all died. They they died. And death comes through what? Sin. So they all died. And so sin was in the world, but before the law, but sin is not counted. Where there is no law, I'll come back and enlarge on that. We've already talked about it in chapter 4, but we'll come back to it here. Verse 14, yet death reigned. So there was no, quote, sin. There was no ten commandments. There were no 613 commandments. So, say, wow, I wish I would have lived back then. 
didn't have any law, didn't have any commandments, didn't have any rules, no regulations. Uh, really? But everybody died. So, yeah. Sin was there. Yet death reigned. Notice the word reigned. It means you can't get away from it. It held power over everything. Death held power over everything. Keep that in mind when we talk about the word reign. So death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. I didn't take any fruit from the tree. Yeah? But you killed your brother. Well, it did say that, you know. Death reigned. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type. We're going to talk about that here in just a bit. Who was a type. And so here Paul directly makes reference to Adam being a type. Right? And to Christ being a type. It was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of, skip over to the right-hand column, the one who was to come. Adam was a type of the one who is to come. Line under that, verse 15a. But the free gift, now he's talked about free gift. That's something he's mentioned already in this passage, going back to chapters 5, verses 6 and down. But the free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift is what? Righteousness. Would you say that? Free gift of righteousness. The free gift is not like the trespass. Trespass is the gift of death. <laughs> All right? Righteousness or life, death. Now, skip back over to the left column. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Verse 15b, left column, in the blue. For if many died through one man's trespass... Right? How many died through one man's trespass? Everyone. Everyone died through one man's trespass. Back over to the right column, 15C. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So many died through that one man's trespass you could say all did but then we skip back over and it says that the grace of god and the free gift by the grace of that one man jesus christ abounded for many now notice it said abounded for many why because this is the first time we'll get this taste of this death you don't have to accept it's working The gift of grace and of righteousness you do. So it abounds for many. Whereas the death was handed down to you and there was nothing you could do about it, this gift of righteousness and life and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is offered to you. And it's accepted how? By faith. So we're back to the idea of faith, even though the word faith does not occur in this section. All right? Go down to verse 16a on the right-hand side in the green. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Verse 16b to the left side. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Okay, can we say death? Damnation? Judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. One sin brought death to all. But listen, verse 16, you say, well, it seems like that's a whole lot worse than, than this one. No, look at verse 16c. But the free gift... Think salvation, think the grace of God, think the righteousness that God gives. But the free gift following 
many trespasses brought justification. So, one sin, all died. Billions of sins, and we all live. Wow. That's why this gift is so much greater than that. Yeah, I know. It was one gift, one sin. But this is after billions. Jesus did not have to die a billion times. He didn't have to die over and over. His death didn't just pay for one person. It paid for everyone. And so Paul says this gift abounds. The Greek idea of the word abounding means just more than you can contain. Outside the boundaries. Overflowing. And so this gift is abounding in its effect. And it abounds through what? But the free gift, 16c, following many trespasses brought justification. Right standing with God. Received how? By faith. By faith. When I got saved, had I committed some sin in my past? Oh, yeah. But I didn't have to pay for them. I didn't have to pay for any of them. I didn't have to ask Jesus to die for this sin and that sin. And, oh, you know, I forgot one. Uh, that one, too. No. We didn't have to enumerate our sin. We enumerated the fact that we're sinners. I need a Savior. I need someone to pay the price. And he says, I already did. It's already done. The price has been paid. I've removed the hostility. And if you believe, I will put you in right standing with me. And it was all done. And all I knew was somebody said, if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, if you believe that he is the son of God and God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay, I want that. And so, saved. What an incredible word. What all is wrapped up in that word saved? Justification. Reconciliation. So many other things. Pastor Bob's got a book that he has done on that. And maybe I might go into some teaching on that. I don't know. But we'll see. Don't know where we're going after we get done with Romans. Heaven, maybe. But So... That's, it's not a warning. That's not a warning. It's just, you know. So anyway. 17a, back to the left side. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned. Right, We've read that already. Death reigned through that one man. Death reigned. It means what? Had absolute power. Nothing you could do about it. Death reigned. Supreme. Was the ultimate. Through the trespass, through the sin, death reigned. No one could stop it. No one could get away from it. Even in our physical world today, we don't get away from it. Animal creation doesn't get away from it. Rocks and lands and oceans don't get away from it. They themselves groan to be released from the effects of of that one sin. How horrific. Death reigned. Oh, verse 17b. Much more. I just love that phrase. Much more. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, circle the word receive, Highlight it, put a mark around it, write it in your Bible, write it in your note, put it on the palm of your hand. Those who receive, notice receive. Did you have to receive death? No. It's there. But you do have to receive the free gift. All Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. 
and the free gift of righteousness, abundance of grace, and free gift of righteousness, which I'll build on in the next session, will do what? Reign in life. Reign in life. I reign in life. Yeah, death reigned, but now I reign in life. So Paul could say, for me to live is Christ. To die, that's even more. Even more. Even better. Much more. To me, to live. So I'm going to reign in life here. And then when this body lays itself down, I'm going to reign in life forever. I reign in life. And that could never be taken from me. How? How's this happen? Those who receive. Don't forget the word receive. Whereas I didn't have to do anything to get the death, I do to get the life, the grace, the righteousness through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation or judgment or damnation for all mankind, 18b, right side. So one act of righteousness, whose act of righteousness? Jesus' act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. All, all men. All men who? What all men? All who what? Receive. All who have received, who have believed. All who receive, not All, as if you don't have a choice, as if everybody's in, no, it's all who receive leads to justification life for all men. Verse 19a, back to the left side, for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. To the right side, so by the one man's obedience, who's that? Jesus. Obedience. The many... What's the next phrase? Will be made righteous. Now, we're made sinners. You didn't have a choice. Before you got saved, you were a sinner. But you want to be righteous? Then you need to receive. And so we receive this gift. The many, not the all, but the many will be made righteous. Verse 28, left side, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded more. The more, so then the law came, right? Ten commandments. Broke those. So God gave them 613. You can't keep ten? I'll give you 613 to keep. How's that? So they had 613 commandments. But the more the commandments, the more what? Oh, first sin. The more sin. Things I didn't know were sin. I didn't know that was sin. God said, yeah, here it is. Let me write it down for you. Well, I didn't know that was sin. Yeah, well, it was. So here it is. I didn't know that was... Yes, you did. Okay, yeah, I did. But so... The law came to increase the trespass. It didn't make people more sinners. It just pointed out how much sinful you were. And the more it did, what? The more grace abounded. Grace abounded all the more. The more I know I've been forgiven, the more things I know that God has forgiven me from, the more I know of His grace reaching into every part of my life, and removing all those things, the more I understand it, the more the grace is abounding toward me. Last verse. Left side. So that as sin reigned in death, as sin reigned in death, grace also 
might reign through righteousness. Does grace reign for everyone? Does grace reign through everyone in the world? It only reigns for those who will what? Receive. Verse 17. All who receive of this free gift. All who believe the just shall live by what? Faith. By faith. And so that this grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have eternal life. We do. But it means that the access to this eternal life came through believing, receiving that righteousness, and therefore the eternal life that follows. All right? So what we'll do in our next session is we'll take up about midway through uh, page 3 in the notes, and we'll talk about Adam as a type and talk about the two different types and what a type is, and then go back through some of the complexities of this passage. All right? So, Father, we thank you for... uh